Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And uh, we're going to pick things up in verse 35. And while you're turning there, I want you to be thinking about a question. And this is not a question you need to answer out loud or raise your hand or anything like that. I just want you to be thinking about this question. What was it that first drew you to Jesus? Was it uh, your family? Maybe you were, grew up in a Christian family, you went to church all the time, and, and so you were kind of always being told about Jesus. Or uh, maybe that wasn't the case for you. Maybe it was a friend at school. Maybe, you're, maybe your buddy or somebody in the locker room introduced you to Jesus. Or maybe you went to a Billy Graham crusade. Or uh, maybe it was a, a friend who got saved and wanted to tell everybody he knew about what had just happened to him uh, when he met Jesus. Or maybe it was the example of a, a grandparent, right? Or the instruction of a grandparent. Maybe your grandma or your grandpa was the one that told you about Jesus. If, if we were to go around the room this morning and answer that question, my guess is almost every Christian in the room would have at least a slightly different answer for how they came to Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a biblical thing. It, maybe, maybe you're in this room this morning and you're not a Christian and you're kind of wondering the same thing. How did all these people end up following Jesus? Where they would all come to this church at the same time on a Sunday morning to talk about him and hear about him. How does that happen? Well, again, it happens in lots of different ways. But what every Christian has in common is in some way they've heard about Jesus and come to believe that he is who he says he is, and so they have decided to follow him for the rest of their lives. Now, when we look at the Gospel of John, we are going to see, in chapter 1, several different people who begin to follow Jesus. And all of them, or many of them, come to follow Jesus in slightly different ways. There's no formula, there's no, it has to be exactly like this. But what they all have in common is they all end up with Jesus. They all end up following Jesus. Many of them hear testimonies about Jesus or come to believe certain things about Jesus. And so they uh, give themselves to following him. So as I read John 1, 35, we're going to go all the way down to verse 51. I want you to be listening in particular for how the different people in the story come to follow Jesus. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is what they hear about Jesus or what they begin to tell other people about Jesus. Right? Those are the two things we're focusing on in this story this morning. So let's begin. John 1, verse 35. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. 
You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael answered him, or excuse me, said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, the first thing we're going to notice in this story, or these stories, is how these different people began to follow Jesus. Right, where we left off last week, uh, John the Baptist testified that Jesus was the Lamb of God uh, who takes away the sin of the world, that He's the Son of God. And he was telling people how he knew that Jesus was the Son of God because God had given him a sign to watch for. And John had seen the Holy Spirit come down upon Jesus and rest upon him. So he knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was the Son of God. And he began to bear witness and point people to Jesus. That's why John came. And what we see in verse 35 and 36 is the next day John does the same thing. He continues to point people to Jesus. And John had his own disciples. We think about Jesus having disciples. We don't normally think about the fact that John, the Baptist, had disciples. And two of his disciples were with him at that point when he pointed to Jesus, as it were, and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And those disciples were listening. They were paying attention. A disciple is just a learner, a follower, someone who's come to learn from a, a, a teacher, a master, as it were, right? And these guys, they're listening to John, and John says, that guy over there, he's the Lamb of God. He's the one I was sent to bear witness about. He's the one I was sent to point people toward. And so what do they do? Well, they leave John and start following Jesus. Now, how does John feel about that? Right? Most of us, if people, you know, if our following starts to build and then it starts to diminish because people go to follow somebody else, that would, you know, make us sad or maybe angry or whatever. We get frustrated or we feel like we're in some kind of competition. Not John. Not John. Later, John is going to be asked about this as uh, more and more people begin to follow Jesus. And his disciples, this is in, in chapter 3 of John, his disciples Uh, at one point, um, come to him and they say, Rabbi, talking about John, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. It's like, he he came after you, and he's doing the same thing as you, but now he's got a bigger crowd than you. What's the deal with that? John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. 
You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John's not sad that his disciples are leaving him to go and follow Jesus. The whole reason why John came was to tell people about Jesus so that they would follow him. And that's what's beginning to happen. So two of John's disciples follow Jesus because John, their teacher, told them to. Right? Told them, this is the one. This is the Lamb of God. And so they began to follow him. One of those two men, John tells us, was Andrew. And Andrew was the brother of Peter. It might surprise us to find out that Andrew started following Jesus before Peter because Peter seems to be first at everything, right? Peter's always out front. Peter's always the one to speak first, it seems like. But Andrew actually began uh, to follow Jesus even before Peter did. And so he went and got Peter, right? Verse 40 says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And then verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Now that sounds like Andrew and Peter both had been looking for the Messiah. The Messiah is the one promised in the Old Testament to come and reign as king and save God's people. That's the Messiah. Many, many, many of the promises in the Old Testament are ultimately about the Messiah. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, it's God was telling us about someone he was going to send, a son he was going to send, who was going to deliver his people, rescue them from their enemies, be the king to sit on David's throne and reign over his kingdom forever. And the Jews have been waiting for this person for centuries, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Andrew has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one they have been waiting for. And evidently he and Peter both had been anticipating and looking for the coming of the Messiah. And so when Andrew finds the Messiah, when he hears about the Messiah and begins to follow him, he's not content to follow the Messiah on his own. He wants Peter to come with him to follow Jesus. So he goes and finds Peter and says, we found him. The Messiah has come and he is here and I know who he is. Come on, let me take you to him. So verse 42 says, he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Andrew goes and finds Peter and says, Peter, I found the Messiah. His name is Jesus. I want to introduce you. And so Andrew comes to follow Jesus because of the testimony of John the Baptist, his rabbi, his teacher. Peter comes to follow Jesus because of the testimony of his brother, Andrew, who says, I found the Messiah, the one we've been looking for. Come on, I want you to meet him. The next person to follow Jesus in this story comes in a completely different way. Verse 43 says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And that's it. There's no intermediary there. There's no brother. There's no rabbi to come and tell you about Jesus. Jesus comes himself to Philip and says, Philip, I want you to follow me. 
Jesus came and found him. Jesus sought him out. Now, it's possible Jesus had heard about Philip from some of his friends, because verse 44 says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So it's possible that as Andrew and Peter begin following Jesus, they say, Jesus, we have a friend named Philip. He's from our same town, and he's been looking for the Messiah too. We haven't had a chance to tell him yet, but if you will go and find him, I think, I think he would want to follow you as well. We don't know. That's just speculation, right? But it's very likely something like that happened. Uh, Jesus didn't need that information, of course, because Jesus is God. He would have known about Philip already. But either way, Philip went, or excuse me, Jesus went and found Philip and called him to follow him. So Philip's experience is different than Andrew's and Peter's. Now, at this point, you might be saying, oh, oh, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. If there's one thing I know about stories of people being called to follow Jesus, it's the story of Jesus going to some fishermen, right, who are on their boat, and saying to them, follow me, and they drop their nets, and they follow Jesus. And isn't that Peter? Isn't he one of those guys? But that's not the story that John is telling us. Right, so how, how, does that, how does that fit together? Because Philip's story here about Jesus saying, follow me, I, I, I thought that was Peter's story too. But this says that Andrew came and told Peter. So h- how do we reconcile all that? Right? In the Gospel of Matthew, right, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So that's Andrew and Peter on a boat fishing. Jesus comes to them like he comes to Philip here and says, follow me. But John tells us that Andrew started following Jesus because John the Baptist told him, this is the Lamb of God. And then he went and got Peter. So so which one is it? And how do we fit all this together? Well, here's the thing. In the Gospels... We are often getting one side of a complex story, right? Sometimes for yourself, even when you tell people your testimony, how you came to Jesus, you don't always tell it exactly the same way, right? Sometimes you'll emphasize one person. Sometimes you'll emphasize an event. Sometimes you tell it from different angles, right? My guess about how these two things are working together is this. That the story that we're most familiar with about Jesus coming to the boat and saying to Andrew and Peter, you come follow me, and they drop their nets and follow him. My guess is that happened later than what John is telling us. Andrew's following John the Baptist, and John says, this is the Lamb of God, and he starts to follow him. And then he goes and gets Peter and says, hey, we need to come follow him. At that point, Andrew and Peter, they are initiating... Right, a relationship with Jesus in the sense that they want to follow him. They're coming after him. And lots of people over time are going to follow Jesus in various capacities. There's going to be crowds of people following him, way more than just the 12 disciples. But when Jesus comes to Andrew and Peter on the boat and says, I want you to follow me, and they drop their nets and start following him, I think at that point Jesus is saying, It's official. I want you to be one of my disciples. I want you to come and follow me. So it's not like one story or the other. 
I think John's giving us the early part of the story, how they first came to know Jesus. And then when Jesus called them when they were at the boat, they'd already met him. They already knew who he was. But Jesus, as the rabbi, was coming to the people he wanted to be his disciples, his official followers, and saying, I I want you to come with me now. I want you to be my followers. I think that's what's going on there. So you got Andrew, Peter, and Philip. And then Philip finds Nathanael, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip goes and finds Nathanael, and he does kind of what uh, Andrew did with Peter. He says, hey, the one that Moses wrote about, the one the prophets wrote about, he's talking about the Messiah. He doesn't use that term, but that the same It means the same thing, right? The one that all those promises are about in the Old Testament from Moses and the prophets. We found him. I know who he is. His name is Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. And so he goes and bears witness to Philip. Now, Philip doesn't, or excuse me, to Nathaniel, I mean. Nathaniel doesn't respond positively right away, but eventually he does. So all these people, right, they're encountering Jesus in different ways, through a friend, through a brother, through a direct encounter with Jesus, through their teacher, rabbi, uh, telling them who Jesus is and that they ought to follow him. And as we read all those stories, it ought to become really clear that there is no one way to meet Jesus. Uh, Sometimes we hear an individual's testimony, and because we don't have the same story as them, we think, ah. Did I miss something? Have I really met Jesus? Because my meeting with Jesus wasn't like that. Right? You read the story of Saul in the, in the book of Acts, right? where Jesus spoke to him from heaven. It was super dramatic, right? earth-shattering. And you think, oh, I just grew up in a Christian family. I just always trusted Jesus. Do, is that okay? Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. People meet Jesus in different ways. The question, the most important question is not, how did you meet Jesus? Or when did you meet Jesus? The most important question is, are you following Jesus? If you're following Jesus, if you trust Jesus, it doesn't matter how you got there. It doesn't matter if a friend told you, or you grew up in a Christian family, or you had a dramatic conversion experience. As long as you have come to believe in Jesus, as long as you are following Jesus, it doesn't matter how you got there, or how that story started. Everybody's story is going to be at least a little bit different. And we see that even in the Bible. So be encouraged by that, right? Now, when these people began to follow Jesus, why did they start following Him? What was it that drew them to him? What was it that they heard? Well, in Andrew's case, it was the testimony of John. This is the Lamb of God. Remember we said last week, the Lamb of God does not mean, oh, he's really cute and cuddly and don't you want to go, you know, be near him. No, it means he's the sacrifice that God has provided to take our place. Jesus is like the ram that God provided to take Isaac's place when God had told Abraham to sacrifice his son. Jesus is the Passover lamb when God told Israel, you've got to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost so that my judgment will pass over you when I come through Egypt and kill the firstborn sons. 
He's the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice of God provided by God Himself to take our place. And when Andrew heard that, he said, that's who I need to be following. That's who I need. The lamb. I, need, I need a Passover lamb. I need a substitute to take my place. I need a Savior. And John told me, this man is him. So I'm going to follow him. For Peter, it was Andrew saying, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. God promised a child will be born who would crush the serpent's head. A child will be born from David's line who would sit on David's throne. God promised that a king would come to rescue us and deliver us from all our oppressors and from all those who are evil. And he's here. He's the Messiah. Philip tells Nathan, he's the one Moses wrote about. Remember that uh, some people came to John the Baptist when he first started baptizing and they said, who are you? Are you the prophet? Because Moses promised that there would be a prophet like him that God would raise up one day and that everyone would need to listen to him. And John said, that's not me. But guess who it was? Jesus. Who did mighty miracles in the Old Testament? Well, Moses did. Well, God did through Moses. Who provided bread for the nation for 40 years in the wilderness? God did through Moses. Moses did some amazing things. And the end of Deuteronomy says that nobody else like Moses had yet arisen. But when Jesus comes and he's able to take five loaves and two fish and multiply them and provide bread for all these people out in the middle of nowhere, the light bulbs start to go off. This guy's like Moses. This is the one Moses was talking about. That's what Philip's saying. We found the one Moses wrote about. We found the one the prophets wrote about. The Messiah is here. The Savior is here. The promised one is here. And then what do they do? They hear that testimony about Jesus, and then they begin to follow him. And... With these testimonies comes an invitation. We get this invitation almost like a, like a bookend in this story. Once at the beginning and once toward the end. In verse 39, when those two disciples leave off following John, and they go find, they start following Jesus, and they come to him and they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? In verse 39, it says, he said to them, Come and you will see. Now, on the surface, that seems like a simple statement that just anybody would say if they were, if you're asked that kind of question. But it's more than just a simple statement here. It's an invitation. They, they don't really want to know just like, well, what house are you staying in today? They want to come be around Jesus, see what he's doing, where he's staying, who he is. They want to get to know him. And Jesus does not push them away. He does not stiff-arm them. He says, well, come along. I'll show you. Come and see. And the reason why I don't think that's reading too much into that is because then later, when Philip comes to Nathaniel and says to Nathaniel, hey, we found the one we've been looking for, the one Moses wrote about, the one the prophets wrote about, and Nathaniel is skeptical, right? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says to him in verse 46, come and see. Come and see for yourself. I can't make you believe he's the Messiah. 
There's probably not an argument that I can make right now that would make you think he's the Messiah. You just need to come and see for yourself. Just come along with me. Come and see. You don't think anything good can come out of Nazareth? Fine. But just come see for yourself first before you decide not to follow Jesus. Before you decide you're not interested. Don't take my word for it. Come and see for yourself. And at its best, this is what missions and evangelism is always doing. These two things. Bearing witness about Jesus and inviting people to come and see him for themselves. Now, we can't invite people to come, you know, meet Jesus physically like Nathaniel could come and talk to him. But we can invite them to come and see him in the scriptures. To read the gospels. Right? We can come and invite them to see the evidence of his work, his life, his presence in the body of Christ, in the church. Come look at these people that come together. Come look at how they treat each other. Come see if you don't see at least a hint of the reality of Jesus in these Christians. Now, we don't always live up right, to who we're supposed to be as Christians. We're not perfect. We're not Jesus. But... Usually, you can see that we're a lot better than we would be if it weren't for him. Right? So, we're inviting people. Come and see. Come and and investigate Jesus for yourself. Come read the Gospels. Come hear what he said. Come see what he did. Come see how he's changed my life. Come see how he's changed the lives of the people at my church. Come and meet him for yourself. Now, Nathaniel is the skeptic in the story. He's not the only one in the Bible who's skeptical about Jesus at various points. Even John the Baptist himself is going to have doubts later on. But at this point, it's Nathaniel. Right? Verse 46, when Philip tells him, we found him, we found the Messiah, we found the one Moses was talking about, Nathaniel basically says, I don't know about that. Because you just said this guy's from Nazareth, and I'm not sure anything good can come out of Nazareth, much less the Messiah. I mean, you're saying the best thing to come has come out of a place I'm not sure anything good can come out of. Now, here's something before we see how uh, that gets dealt with, right? how his objection and skepticism gets dealt with. Here's something we need to think about just for a moment. Nathaniel's prejudiced, right, against Nazareth. We don't know why. Maybe it's because it's a small town. Maybe it had a bad reputation. I don't know. But he's prejudiced against Nazareth. Right? And maybe you've been on the receiving end of that kind of prejudice because of where you're from. Because of where you grew up. Or how you grew up. Or whatever. If so, there's comfort here. Because Jesus knows what's that, what that's like. Jesus experienced prejudice at the hands of someone who would later become his disciple. Who doubted him before he even met him just because of where he was from. And there's also a warning there for us. Not to repeat Nathaniel's mistake. Not to exercise that kind of prejudice. And I, I expect most, if not all of us, have been guilty of this at one point or another. Either because somebody's from somewhere big or somewhere small or somewhere up north or somewhere down south or whatever. We automatically want to write them off because of where they're from. It was a mistake when Nathaniel did it. Right? It was wrong. We shouldn't write people off for that kind of reason either. You don't want someone to be prejudiced against you because of where you're from. 
Right? Jesus said, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. We shouldn't be prejudiced against anybody because of where they're from. Oh, he can't be a good person. He can't be worth knowing because he's from wherever. We've got to beware of that. And when we're guilty of that, we need to confess it and ask the Lord to forgive us. So Nathaniel's skeptical and he's prejudiced right, against Nazareth and by association against Jesus at first. But Philip just says, you've got to come and check it out for yourself. Come and see. So he does. Verse 47 says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, this is one of those statements that you can hear it a dozen times and not really feel like you know what Jesus is saying. Is he just saying that Nathaniel's honest? Like, well, he's maybe prejudiced, but at least he speaks his mind. <laughs> yeah. That could be part of it. Right? He, he's not pretending to love Nazareth when he doesn't. Maybe that's what he means. Possible. But here's something I think he definitely means. In the Old Testament, there are three men right, in the book of Genesis who we classify as Patriarchs. They're the fathers, the, the, the men who were the, sort of the founders of Israel, so to speak. I mean, God chose Abraham first, right? And it's his family that grows into the nation of Israel. But one of those men was a trickster and a deceiver. Remember which one it was? Jacob. Remember, he, he took hold of his brother Esau's heel, even when they were being born, right? And he... Uh, deceived his brother out of his birthright. He, he dressed himself up like Esau and, and his mom cooked the kind of food that Esau would cook and he came into his father's room his dad couldn't see and he pretended to be Esau so that God would bless him. He deceived him out of his birthright. He was a trickster and a deceiver. His name was Jacob, but God later changed his name to Israel. And the Israelites are the sons of Israel. They're the sons of Jacob. And so what Jesus is saying here is, here is a true descendant of Israel, except you're not a deceiver like he was. And there's even more to the story than that, right? He says that to Nathan, and Nathan's like, hold up. How do you know anything about me? I'm just meeting you, and you're making this pronouncement about my character like you know who I am. And Jesus says, well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now that's not Jesus saying, I know who you are because I saw you in this moment before you met Philip. That's Jesus saying, Nathaniel, I've got ways of knowing about you you have no idea about. I knew where you were when I was nowhere near you, and Philip hadn't even gotten to you yet. I know way more about you than you realize. And Nathaniel understood what Jesus was saying, because in verse 49 it says, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. The combination of Philip's testimony and Jesus being able to say, I know things about you, I don't... Wouldn't, you know, nobody else would be able to know. Nathaniel knows, okay, you're exactly who Philip said you are. You're the king of Israel. You're the son of God. Right? You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, 
Basically, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Right? He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Uh, you're impressed. You believe because I, tell you, I told you I saw you. I, I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to see things much, much greater than what you have seen so far. Well, what, do you, what kind of things do you have in mind? Verse 51. He says, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, who was it that saw a ladder with angels ascending and descending? It was Jacob, who became named Israel, father of the Israelites, who Jesus just said, Nathan, you're an Israelite indeed, but without deceit. Right? So Jesus says, you're going to see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now here's where we go back to uh, what I was talking about, I don't know, a week or two ago, about interpreting the Bible literally versus literalism. Okay, where's the story where heaven opens and angels ascend and descend on Jesus? There's not one. There's, there's no story like that. So what does that mean? What is Jesus talking about? Well, it's possible, of course, that something like that happened that just wasn't recorded in the Gospels. That's perfectly possible. But Jesus is not saying, I don't think, that there's going to be one event, right, where you're going to see heaven opened and you're going to see angels coming down upon me like I'm, like I'm a ladder. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you're an Israelite indeed. You know the story of Israel. You know the story of Jacob. You know the story of the vision he had when he was in Bethel. He had a dream and he saw a ladder connecting heaven to earth. God was standing at the top and the angels were coming up and down. And and what he saw was that in this place, God was dwelling, that heaven and earth had come together. And Jesus is saying, I am the ladder. I am the meeting place of heaven and earth. I am the house of God. I am the dwelling place of God because I am God in the flesh. As Paul will later say, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Jesus is telling Nathaniel, you're going to see some things that are going to make clear to you, like that dream made clear to Jacob, that where I am is where God is. And where I am, I have brought heaven and earth together. You're going to see it when I cast out demons. You're going to see it when I multiply bread and fish. You're going to see it when I calm storms. You're going to see it when I raise the dead. You're going to see it when I die on a cross. And the curtain of the temple is going to be torn in two. I am the gate of heaven. Or the way Jesus is going to say it later is, I am the door of the sheep. Or, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus means. If you've never seen these things, if you've never seen Jesus for who he is, the invitation in John chapter 1 is to come and see for yourself. Come follow Jesus through the Gospel of John. Come read the stories. Come hear the testimonies. Come see the miracles. Come listen to the teaching. Come see Jesus for who He is. 
And if you have already come to see Jesus and know who Jesus is, John is here to remind us this is who we follow. This is who we belong to. This is our Savior. This is why we are secure. This is why we know our sins are forgiven. This is why we know we are resting in the Father's love. This is why we know that we belong to God and that our resurrection is coming. It's because God himself took on flesh. And he died in our place. And he rose on the third day. And what he did, he did for us. And no one can snatch us out of his hand. And one day he's going to return for us and we will dwell with him forever. That's what we call the gospel, the good news. Let's pray.